the Ain't No Fang podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. Well, the MLB trade deadline has come and gone. How active were the Arizona Diamondbacks? Welcome back to the Ain't No Fang podcast. I'm Steve Zinsmeister with Cody Fincher as well. Uh, Bear, we were curious as to know how much the Diamondbacks were actually going to do at this year's trade deadline. I was wondering if it was going to look similar to the 2020 trade deadline where they moved four players uh, and basically got nothing for them, or at least not much to speak of. And instead, it was it was somewhat of a mixed return. Uh, the two biggest moves that happened for the Diamondbacks, uh, as anticipated, David Peralta, no longer a member of the Arizona Diamondbacks. He was traded to the Tampa Bay Rays for a chance to be on a contender. He was moved for a minor league catcher, 19-year-old Christian Serda, uh, somebody who's certainly years away from showing anything at the major league level, you would think. And then the other move was Luke Weaver, a little bit more of a surprise. Uh, I expected him to be a non-tender candidate at the end of the year, so for him to get any sort of return is good. And it came in the in the form of mid-20s Emmanuel Rivera, who is a uh, really a, a quite good infielder at AAA. He has not been great at the major league level, but he might provide uh, a little bit of offense against left-handed pitching. Seems like the reason that you would go and acquire a player of his caliber. Yeah, I was surprised that anyone really wanted Luke Weaver, right? I mean, uh, it's it's just a I I didn't really see him getting moved because of just he's not pitched well, um, and uh, I I mean I'm okay with the trade. I mean I don't think they were going to keep him anyway. He's got Weaver has one year of arbitration left after this season and. I mean, he hasn't really shown that, you know, anything to the team that why they would want to keep him. Right. But, um, yeah, like we we're not surprised David Peralta. It's it sucks that David Peralta got traded because he, I believe outside of Nick Ahmed, he was the longest tenured D backs. He's been here for nine years now, nine seasons. Um, and I mean, uh, he's done a lot of good things for the Diamondbacks on and off the field. Uh, nine seasons with the Diamondbacks. Uh, he won the 2018 Louisville uh, Silver Slugger Award in left field. In 2019, he won that Gold Glove in left field. I mean, in his in his career with the D-backs, by the way, a 283 hitter, 46 triples. That's a lot. <laughs> I mean, uh, among the D-backs, I'm reading their press release right now. He ranks among D-backs all-time leaders in triples, second, games, third, hits, third, doubles, fourth, RBI, fourth, and home runs, sixth. I didn't really know that w- until I read that press release for the first time, you know? Like, you know, I never thought of David Peralta that way. Like, okay, he's now top 10 on all those major categories in Diamondbacks franchise history. Um, it just shows how good of a player he was when with the team. Um, and I'm, I'm not really sure about the return. Um, I don't know what else they could have gotten and we've been talking for a while too about how the 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 lack of catching depth in the minor league system for the Diamondbacks and Christian Serda is he's 19 years old catcher um but i mean i've seen so many people on social media being like wow they only they basically gave up David Peralta for free and I, i'm like yeah but 
what were you going to get for a 34-year-old corner outfielder with lit, with with not a lot of power? And that's usually a power spot corner outfield. So to me, I mean, I think they probably did the best they could. Plus, Peralta's on an expiring contract, so I I get it. But I mean, it's it's it sucks to see him go. Um, David Peralta, a really good Diamondback, while he was here. Yeah, and the the return Christian Serda, he's 19 years old. He's years away from the major leagues. Uh, he's got about 234 plate appearances in his professional career so far, which is not a ton. Uh, but he does have a, a 397 on base percentage in rookie ball. That's pretty darn good. Uh, I know that he might not ever make the major leagues, but he's a lottery ticket. And you turned a 34-year-old player who is probably going to hit free agency and leave for nothing anyway into a possible catching option down the road right. in a few years. So that's something to write home about. As for his playing career in Arizona, David Peralta is really quite a remarkable story. I mean, he started as a pitcher in the Cardinals system and it didn't work out. And, you know, the guy ends up uh, living a normal lifestyle like like all the rest of us and then somehow converts himself into a hitter and a pretty darn good one. A 282 average, you mentioned. I mean, not a lot of players in the league hit 282 anymore. And while he never really had a ton of pop, I mean, he had a couple seasons where he was hitting 20, 25 home runs a year. And that's no small feat. And honestly, he kind of reminds me of like a Sean Marion to the Suns, where mm-hmm. he was never the best player on the team. He was maybe never even uh, top two or three on the team at any given time. But he was always kind of the heart and soul of the team. He does everything pretty well. Uh, you mentioned the Silver Slugger Award and the Gold Glove, the high average. He hits some home runs. He's going to be in the top five to ten in most categories for this organization. I hate to put it so bluntly, but David Peralta is one of the best Diamondbacks of all time. I, I know, and it's just it's it's weird to even say that because that's not. And I'm guilty of this. I, it's not how I thought of David Peralta in his time here. You know, I you know I always kind of thought of David Peralta as like, yeah, he's a pretty good role player. He's a good clubhouse guy and all that. But seeing those numbers, I I, I was kind of taken aback by that. I'm like, wow, he really was good on the field in ways you didn't really like. Yeah, like you're right. He wasn't hitting 35, 40 home runs every year. But I mean. He's getting on base, a lot of extra base hits, and then he played really good defense. And along with being that really good clubhouse guy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just it is what it is. They I mean, he's probably not coming back. He, he's 34 years old. He'll be 35 next year there. The Diamondbacks are ready to call up Corbin Carroll at some point in the near future. Um, which means he'll either have left or right field, depending on what they want to do with Varsho. I think Alec Thomas is your center fielder, no matter what. He's shown that he's really good out there defensively, I think. But now's the time to kind of go forward with this youth movement. And I think if I think David Peralta, if he was here, he'd be playing, right? I mean, if you're not going to bench David Peralta. Um, for you know Jake McCarthy or whenever Cor- Corbin Carroll comes up, but now with Peralta being traded, you get a, an extensive look at Jake McCarthy and what he can do. And then whenever Corbin Carroll comes up, you see what he's got. So 
I understand the trade. I'm not mad at the trade at all. Um, but we'll miss David Peralta. He's been really good um, for this team. Uh, just going along the lines of the next trade, Luke Weaver. I, I mean, you mentioned Rivera hasn't been really good um, with the Royals in 2022. I mean, he hit 237, eight doubles, three triples, six homers, 22 RBI, 63 games of the Royals this year before being traded. Um, but it's another infield bat that they, that they need. It could give Josh Rojas a day off here and there. Um, Buddy Kennedy got sent down too. And Alcantara hasn't really been playing third. He's been playing short and second, but he can play over there too, but it's another, it's a right-handed bat, another right-handed bat that they need. Um, so we'll get an extensive look. I think at Emmanuel Rivera. Um, I'm, I'm not surprised at how quiet they were. I know a lot of people were thinking maybe they could trade Zach Davies. Maybe Joe Mantiply would be a guy that a, a, a contending team would want because of how good he's been an all-star in 2022, a left-handed reliever who's been really good. Um, Christian Walker's name was thrown out there. I This organization really loves Christian Walker, too, I think. And I mean, yeah, he, he's, he had his 25th home run last night of the season. Um, his power numbers are there and he plays a pretty good defensive first base and he's controllable. So I don't, I didn't really think Christian Walker was going anywhere, but when people are like, wow, well, we didn't trade Davies or Mantiply. I'm like, first of all, what are you going to get for Zach Davies? He's been injured. First of all, for, I feel like he hasn't pitched in almost a month. He comes back from the injured list and doesn't do very well right before the, the day before the trade deadline. And I'm just, you're not going to get anything for Zach Davies. No one's looking for a Zach Davies right now with all the other pitchers that were on the market and got moved. Zach Davies, was, it would have been another, you know, just dump him for an, uh, another 18 year old kid or cash considerations or something like that. Um, I am kind of surprised that Joe Mantiply didn't get traded, but I'm also not surprised that he didn't either. I don't know because he's, he is controllable. Um, he's under a team controllable contract. He's been really good and he's one of the, your best relievers. So um, I'm not surprised he didn't get traded. And I, and of course I didn't think they were going to trade Melanson or Ian Kennedy. Melanson has been pretty bad, um, especially, Hey, once again, in non-save situations, he took his 10th loss the other night. So 10, 10 losses in relief. Not good. Yeah, definitely not good. I think that made him slightly even less tradable if yeah. that was even a thing to begin and with. He's, and, uh, he, and he's owed money next year, so that doesn't help either. Right. right. Nobody wants to pay $7 million next season for a guy who's not only 40 years old, but 40 years old and not producing. Right. I mean, it was different last year when – he was 39, but he led the league in saves. You know, he was doing the job efficiently. So I totally agree with you on that front. The biggest news of the day came in the form of a Juan Soto trade. Uh, He got moved from the Nationals to the Padres uh, in a deal that was very interesting. Not only the biggest return package of prospects ever, but also Josh Bell thrown into the mix as well. Yeah. And if you want to get even a little bit more dramatic about it, the trade was supposed to involve Eric Hosmer going back to the Nationals, but he had a no-trade clause, or at least a partial no-trade clause that included Washington, and he nixed the whole thing. Uh, but fortunately, <laughs> the Padres, you know, A.J. Preller is one of the most creative GMs in baseball. It's not like he went into this 
thinking, oh, no, like if, if Hosmer's not going to do it, then I can't do the deal. Right. No, he figured out another iteration of the trade, ends up sending Luke Voigt instead, and it all works out. It's the biggest trade that we've ever seen in MLB history. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. it's And it's the most, I would say, unprecedented trade that we've ever seen. I mean, Juan Soto is a generational talent in this league. He's also only 23 years old. He, you, We talk about in football, like franchise quarterbacks and how important they are, and you don't come across those guys a lot. Juan Soto is that equivalent in baseball. And he's only 23 years old. And he turned down a $400 million contract by the Washington Nationals. I don't know what the hangup there was. It must have been the way it was dealt out, the payments, whatnot, or some language in the contract, whatever it was. Or the Nationals are going to be going through a rebuild. And, I mean, he's 23, but he's so good, maybe he just didn't want to be a part of it. Um, But, man, I just I can't believe someone like Juan Soto was just traded at all. I mean, it, it you don't see that hardly ever. Ever like you see teams now like the Padres have done it, too. They gave Tatis that huge contract, 13 years, whatever it was. Um, The Rays gave Wander Franco that big contract, too. And you're seeing teams lock up their young players, not trade them away. And I mean, credit to the Nationals, though. They got a lot of good talent coming back. I mean, Mackenzie Gore, uh, Robert Hassel, the third CJ Abrams. Uh, James Wood, Jar- uh, Harleen, Susana, and then, of course, I mean, for some reason they wanted Eric Hosmer. I don't really know why. Uh, by the way, how mad at Eric Hosmer do you think Luke Voigt is right now? <laughs> like, I mean, he was – Luke Voigt was, you know, not supposed to be in this deal. He was supposed to remain a Padre, and now all of a sudden he's in Washington. Um, and Hosmer, by the way, ended up in Boston – because uh, you can't keep Eric Hosmer after all that. That would be weird. Um, you don't need Eric Hosmer now that you have Josh Bell. By the way, another that's another crazy aspect of this trade. It's the second year in a row where the Nationals have traded two of their best players to a team in the NL West. Last year, it was Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Dodgers for their top prospects. This year, it's Juan Soto and Josh Bell to the Padres for their top prospects. I've never seen anything like this before. I don't know if we ever will again. It's just, it's crazy that this has actually happened. Yeah, I think credit goes to Mike Rizzo and the Nationals, especially for being creative in their own right. Uh, While, yes, we knew that they were going to get a huge package for Juan Soto for all the reasons you just laid out, his youth, his longevity, his hitting ability, uh, his ability to play the outfield and not just be a designated hitter. I think that they looked at the situation and said, you know what, there's plenty of suitors for Juan Soto, but what team could we potentially throw this other guy in and get one or two extra pieces? Because I honestly think that the package they got for the two of them is probably greater than the sum of two separate trades they could have made for Soto and Bell separately. Mm. I don't know what Bell would have been worth separately to another team, but you have to think that there probably weren't a ton of suitors for Josh Bell. There were probably a handful, uh, like there were for Soto. But my guess is that attaching him to the deal 
upped the package a little bit more and probably helped them accomplish more of their goals. As for why they trade those guys together, I think that they look at the Juan Soto situation and say, this is the situation. Whatever happens with Josh Bell, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter to the Nationals, but he's kind of a throw-in at this point for them because he's so far lower than Josh uh, than Juan Soto is. So for them, they're like, well, we're going to try to sell the team in the fall. And what that means is that they're looking at a situation with a player where they asked him to sign for $440 million, and he said no. My <laughs> guess is because he wants to reach free agency. He's represented by Scott Boris, which means that most of his clients want to reach free agency. That's just how Scott Boris rolls. And then they always end up getting the biggest contracts in human history. So he's probably going to command half a billion dollars in free agency in two and a half years. And so the Nationals looked at that and said, fine, if he's not going to re-sign, then we have to trade him and we have to do it now because this is when we're going to get the most for him. Plus we add on Josh Bell, plus we add on whatever else it takes to get the deal done. And that's going to appeal way more to a potential buyer here in the fall or the winter because now they look at the situation and they say, we've got all this young talent to build around. Without a doubt, they are now the number one farm system and if you start calling up some of these guys, all of a sudden you've got a young core that you're building around almost immediately flip the switch. I think they're a, that Washington's in a better seat today than they were a day and a half ago before they figured out what to do with Juan Soto. So credit to them. I think they did a fantastic job of, of gathering as much talent as they possibly could. Yeah, I, I think... I think the team that didn't do a fantastic job in all of this, the Juan Soto stuff especially, was the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, it was reported and rumored that the Cardinals were were not necessarily the favorite, but they they ended up being one of the three finalists along with the Padres and the Dodgers. And from what I read from insiders and reports out there was that the Cardinals – the Cardinals didn't want to give up Dylan Carlson, their young outfielder, in a package for Juan Soto. And while I think Dylan Carlson is going to be a good player, he's he might even be a really good player. Juan Soto is a great player, and he's great right now. And he's only 23 years old. I'm not saying that the Cardinals would, you know, give him 400 whatever million dollars. I don't know if they would. Um, they owe quite a bit of money to Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, um, and they have no pitching. So they and they that and that's what they went out and got. They went out and got pitching this this trade deadline. They got Jordan Montgomery and Jose Quintana. But to me, if you're a finalist for Juan Soto, and the the Cardinals, by the way, are in the race for the NL Central. The Brewers are currently in first. And who just traded Josh Hader to the Padres, by the way. Uh, that was weird. That trade was weird. Um, but the Cardinals, it, it seemed to me just like they, they're they like, we're, we're, we're good for right now. Like they were in first place. And I'm like, you have a chance to get Juan Soto. Juan Soto. He's right there. And you think about that lineup too. The That, you know, that. I guess two, three, and four, maybe you'd Juan Soto, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. That's pretty tough to beat. Um, 
but yeah, I, I just, of course, I wanted Juan Soto to not be in the NL West, terrorizing me and making my life a living hell. Uh, I just, I, I'm a little less upset that he's with San Diego it, um, uh, as opposed to him going possibly to the Dodgers because. I just I hate the Dodgers so much, and I'm just like you know like as soon as that Hosmer stuff came out that he was might you know reject going to Washington, I'm like watch the Dodgers sweep in swoop in there and just nab Juan Soto just like they nabbed Max Scherzer last year after the reports came out that Max Scherzer was close to being dealt to San Diego. I just I was preparing myself for the worst, but I mean. Yeah, if you're the Cardinals, I felt like you should have probably parted with Dylan Carlson, but them trading Harrison Bader to the Yankees kind of made more sense as to why they didn't want to give up Carlson because now Carlson goes to center field. But yeah, the Padres, by the way, outside of Juan Soto, <laughs> they went out and got arguably one of the best closers in the, in the game, the best left-handed reliever in the game, Josh Hader, they traded uh is it Taylor or Tyler Rogers? Which one is in San Diego? Taylor, I San think. San Diego had Taylor Rogers. Yeah, because his brother is also a relief pitcher for the Giants. I always get them mixed up. Um so Taylor Rogers goes to Milwaukee. Um and it, that was an interesting trade because Milwaukee is in first place. And my thought was, wow, they're trading their closer, their all-star closer. While they're in first place, but then I started thinking about it. They do have Devin Williams, um, and they get Taylor Rogers back. And we were kind of speculating maybe it's a clubhouse thing with Josh Hader. I don't know. He maybe I don't know. He he's getting a little bit older, and I don't know what his contract is. I think he's under control for next year. Um, maybe not much after that, but. Milwaukee kind of did this trade as like they're retooling, not rebuilding. They're just kind of shifting gears a little bit while in first place in their division. And then the Padres also get Brandon Drury from the Reds. And like, and what's and Brandon Drury has been playing every day, third base. I feel like for the Reds and playing really well. Now is he's just going to be a platoon bat for the Padres. The Padres are Thanos gathering the infinity stones right now. And I think it's pre- the gauntlet's pretty much full. What what was shocking to me about all that was, like like I talked about the Cardinals and how cl- they're at the time they were only two games back in their in the division behind Milwaukee. The Padres are over ten games behind the Dodgers for the division. I mean, and they swing this trade. Are you serious? AJ Preller is a madman. Well, I think, too, with the addition of more wild cards, teams now look at this situation with the playoffs and they say, we don't have to win the division anymore. I mean, we can get in on a wild card whim. Now, granted, you got to win that game. You got to win wild card games to get aren't, in. And aren't that's, the wild, that's, is the wild card game, wild card situation, is it a series again? Or is a it a three game series? Is that right? I can't remember what the new, what this new CBA says. But there are three wild card teams, and I think it's yeah. I think it's oh man, I look like an idiot now bringing this up, not knowing the answer. Um, I I can't remember how it is, but but yeah, it's, it is it is weird seeing these teams really go for like the, like the Seattle Mariners trading all of that capital for Luis Castillo. 
I mean, he's really good. He, I mean, he's struggled. He struggled last year in Cincinnati. He's been better this year. He's got electric stuff. But Seattle is really only fighting for a wild card spot because the Astros are probably winning that division. The Angels aren't any good. The, the A's certainly aren't good. So the Mariners are just vying for a wild card spot, and they go out and get this. They they traded a lot of prospects for Castillo too. It's it's very interesting to see these teams now making these type of big buying moves for just a wild card spot. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I, I do think that a lot of it plays into the new system. Uh, not only are there more wild card teams and therefore more teams in the playoffs, but also the system is no longer heavily weighted in favor of the teams that win the divisions. Yes, there are still benefits that come with winning your division. Of course, it's better to be the Dodgers right now than it is to be the Padres, uh, at least in terms of wins and losses. But yeah, I think that this has opened the door and, and in a lot of ways opened the floodgates of teams uh, more teams trying to go after these big names at the trade deadline because back in the day it was okay if you're a division leader you might make that trade but if you're in second or third that's a lot of capital to give up for uh, you're potentially not even going to make the playoffs right. or you're going to have to play in a wild card game or even before that you'd have to play in a series against uh, another team that won their division it was stacked against you. There wasn't as much incentive back then to go after that. So in a, in one way or another, the new system plays really well into a trade deadline because like we saw yesterday, there's a lot of teams that are out there looking for these big names. Like you mentioned, the, the Cardinals, even though they didn't make a ton of big moves, they were in it on Juan Soto. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, even though we know them to be a team that doesn't go after big names like they've been in talks with a lot of these big players and big names mm-hmm. uh i heard the cleveland guardians being thrown around their payroll's like 35 million or whatever <laughs> it's probably like 45 or 50 but uh, like they're a small market team essentially and they were looking at a bunch of these big names and here's here's the one thing i'll throw out about the juan soto deal that i think it's been discussed but i don't know that a lot of people were talking about it it's that I would be surprised if they make this deal, they utilize Juan Soto for the next two playoff runs, and then trade him again before he hits free agency. Get back some of the prospects that you lost in this deal. Uh, Not that I think prospects are like the end-all, be-all. I I think they're even happy to be rid of some of these guys that have been sitting in AAA forever. I mean, uh, Mackenzie Gore just got his first look in the majors. He's been the top left-handed pitching prospect in baseball for seemingly two years. Uh, C.J. Abrams has been a big-name shortstop prospect for a while. Robert Hassel's been tossed around a bit. Uh, So, like, some of these guys, it's like, okay, we didn't really have a place for them on this team anyway. Let's ship them out. And remember, too, not only are they adding three essentially all-stars to their roster in Juan Soto, Josh Bell, and Brandon Drury, they're also adding that uh, reliever all-star you're talking about, Josh Hader, and they have probably the most talented player in baseball, Fernando Tatis, coming back this week, hopefully this week, soon. So they're adding four all-star players to their lineup, one to their bullpen, and, oh, by the way, they just signed a deal, an extension, for five years, $100 million with Joe Musgrove, who's been one of the better pitchers in baseball the last two years, and he's making $20 million a year. That's actually affordable for a front-of-the-rotation guy. Yeah, Juan Soto is under arbitration for the next 
two seasons after this one, I mean, the Padres could really go like they're they're they've already gone all in, but if there's any level past all in, they could really do that this next year and a half or so. And if, if they don't, if they don't make it or if they don't get closer or they, you know, if, if it's just still wild card appearances for them, they could trade Juan Soto again and get a ridiculous haul, just like the Nationals got a ridiculous haul. Um, I looked it up, by the way, because uh, I was wondering about the new wildcard system. And here's what I found. The new format will do away with the single wildcard game and instead pit the third best division winner against the last team in while the best and second best wildcard winners play each other. These games will all be played in a three game series hosted by the team with the better record. So it's all wild card series now instead of one game. And that makes it more, I think that makes it more uh, justifiable for teams going for trades like this for wild card spots because it's not just for one game anymore. It's for a best of two, you know, two out of three. Um, so I get it. I get it more now. Um, which is why maybe if the Diamondbacks are competitive, which they were in the beginning of this year, but in, maybe in the next couple of years, if they're competitive and fighting for a wild card, uh, wild card spot, maybe that is more incentive for a team like them to make a trade or to uh, buying at the trade deadline. Um, but yeah, I mean, Juan, I mean, I, I just, I can't believe it's real. I can't believe Juan Soto is, was traded. I, one, I can't believe he turned down 450 million or whatever it was from the nationals. I mean, there had to be something significantly wrong with that contract, or maybe he just doesn't really care for what the direction they're going in. And I can understand that he's a ridiculously talented guy and they're in a rebuild for lack of a better term, they are there. And they also have a lot of bad contracts on that team too. Steven Strasburg's contract is looking worse, worse and worse with every injury he sustains. Patrick Corbin has been terrible since 2019 after they won the world series. He's been awful for them. And he's, he's owed, I think like over 20 million next year. And then 30 something million the year after that, um, bad, bad contracts, um, in Washington. Uh, so I get the reasoning why maybe he wanted to leave, but it's just crazy. A, a team, a, a player like Juan Soto and at his age, you never see that ever. I, I don't even know if anything has come close to what happened with Juan Soto. I, I can't think of anything. Can you? Yeah. It, the most comparable is probably Miguel Cabrera. He got moved. I don't think he was 23, but when he was moved from Miami or at the time Florida uh, to Detroit, that's probably comparable. Uh, but I don't think he had that much control left. And did, was he traded? Did he leave in free agency? I can't even remember. I can't honest. remember. Um, I wanted to say that was a trade, but I can't remember. The other one was Alex Rodriguez going from Seattle to Texas. But that one I'm pretty sure was free agency. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right. There's not a lot of comps. This is certainly unprecedented, but I would say Miguel Cabrera is probably the most, the closest you can get to like a guy who is established already as one of the best hitters in the game at a very young age yeah, with tons of years ahead of them. I mean, look at Miguel Cabrera. He's still playing. That, <laughs> that deal happened like 20 years ago. Yeah. 
I, I uh, he went to Detroit in 2008. Um, he's 39 years old right now this year. Um, so I mean, math is difficult. Are you doing the math? I can see you on your screen typing things. No, I was I was trying to figure out was the Miguel Cabrera thing a trade? Yeah, it was. So Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis were traded to Detroit for key prospects. I mean, Cabrera was 25 in that trade. He was 25 years old. This is what I forgot it was. about Dontrell was, Willis. This is what it was. So it was Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis, both very good players at that time, by the way. Yeah. Uh, for outfielder Cameron Mabin, mm-hmm. pitcher Andrew Miller, catcher Mike Rabello, and minor league pitchers Eulogio De La Cruz, Dallas Trahern, and Burke Badenhop. <laughs> Burke Badenhop. So, yeah, there's three names that I recognize there. Burke Badenhop, which was just, you know, yeah. like, toss around relief pitcher if i remember right andrew miller he was a star andrew miller was a starter at the time and he was a very highly touted prospect i remember that yes and then he ended up becoming one of the best relief pitchers in baseball yeah. when the uh when the yankees had him and then eventually Cleveland. the indians in the world series mm-hmm. and then uh you know he's i wouldn't say he's been great ever since but that's probably his peak and then Camber Mabin had a pretty decent career in Major League Baseball. Yeah. I wouldn't say he was a great player yeah. at any point. Decent, but decent player. Yeah, decent player. So that was the deal that's probably the most comparable. And that's, what, six players, if I'm doing my math right? I mean, mm-hmm. and they threw in Dontrell Willis, which is kind of like the Nationals throwing in Josh Bell. Yeah. That's yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, Miguel Cabrera was only twenty five years old when that happened, so not too far off. Juan Soto's twenty three. I just don't know how many years of control they had left on on Cabrera at the time, but it didn't matter. I mean, they re signed him. It, the thing is, like we talked about, the Padres might not re sign Juan Soto. They may not even give him an offer. Right? Who knows? They and, might just hold on to him I for mean, two years, yeah, or one year even if they wanted to. I mean, if they go out and win the World Series then you don't have to hold on to him. You could trade him right then and get the whole package back if you can. Yeah, they, uh, AJ Preller, like I said earlier, not only is he one of the most aggressive GMs, he's one of the most creative. So he could he could come up with a million different things that they can do with an asset like Juan Soto. And San Diego is interesting because it's not a big market. No. Historically, they've operated as a franchise, sort of like a small market team. And while San Diego is thought of as a pretty, it's a pretty good sized city and uh, it's certainly a great baseball town. I mean, they don't have anything going going on there anymore professionally other than baseball. Yeah. Uh, so I love that about them. They have the most beautiful park in, in Major League Baseball. Uh, I love going to Petco Park and the vibe downtown that they have there is Padre centric. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's what I wish the Diamondbacks had going for them downtown in Arizona in Phoenix specifically. So uh, their ownership group and their management under AJ Preller is just operating as though they are a big market team because of what they've built in that small bubble that is San Diego. And I wouldn't be shocked if they treat this as like, Hey, we're playing with the big boys for two years. And then they get out of it because (laughs) that would just be the most 
creative way to handle this current situation. They don't have to pay Juan Soto half a billion dollars. They're already paying Tatis and Machado $600 million combined or whatever it is. So that's going to be one expensive team if they try to keep him around. Well, yeah, I mean, they don't, like you said, they don't have to sign Juan Soto. They don't have to. I'm sure they would like to keep him. Like, you know, everyone wants a player like Juan Soto, but... After after two years of Juan Soto, they still have Manny Machado for two more years after that, and they still have Fernando Tatis Jr. for like a million years after they gave him that contract. What what what, what is it? Twelve? Okay, so it was like a, it was a thirteen year deal, wasn't it? For Tatis, I think so. so this is the first year of that, I guess. So like in two years, they still have. 10 plus years of Fernando Tatis Jr. Hopefully he stays healthy because he's good for baseball. Um, but yeah, they're still in a good spot with their offense anyway. Um, even if they don't keep Juan Soto long term, this is totally th- their owner wants to win. You can tell because this is like this is the move you make where you want to win right now. It's the same thing that Steve Cohen is doing with the Mets, getting Max Scherzer and Starling Marte and Eduardo Escobar and all those guys trading for Francisco Lindor, you know, all that stuff. It's the same type of thing. And I always, I never think of San Diego as a small market. Maybe that's just because like, I, I know Oakland's not, but I always, when I think of California teams, I think, oh, they're all just rich. They all just have so much money. And the Padres aren't really like that. I mean, they're, they do have a, a, a decently wealthy owner and ownership group. Um, but I believe Gambo said this yesterday on Burns and Gambo that their television deal um, in San Diego with I think it's Bally Sports is a little bit less than what the Diamondbacks have with their television deal. Um, and they basically what Gambo was saying was interesting. They basically the Padres operate their team at a loss pretty much every year. They 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 have a deficit every year, but they don't care because they just want to win a championship. Um, it's kind of the same thing, and the guys on Burns Gamma made this comparison too, but in 2001 with the Diamondbacks, the same thing happened. Um, Jerry Colangelo, they, he wanted to win, and he went out, and they got Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, Mark Grace. Um, you know, They got all those guys that helped contribute to their World Series championship run, and yeah, it did kind of hurt the team financially after that, but Hey, you won a world series. So who cares? Right. Yeah. Here's an interesting nugget too, that I, I didn't realize I was looking at the Tatis contract since he brought it up and you're right. Th- it, this year is his second season of that deal. But what I didn't know, and I guess I should have thought of this with any contract extension, is that the big money doesn't kick in for a couple of years. Right. So next season, he makes $7 million in base salary, about 700000 in signing bonus. So let's just call it about $8 million next season. Then in 2024, $11 million. Then the next year, $20 million. The next year, $20 million. So over the next, let's just say the next two seasons, right? 2023 and 2024, because those are the two years you'll have Juan Soto still under his original deal or at least arbitration, right? Tatis is only making eight next year and 12 the next. Yeah. So $20 million over two seasons. That gives you a small window there where you can bring in Juan Soto and still have Tatis under a controllable dollar figure 
and you have Machado who's playing at I don't know like thirty million a year, thirty five a year, whatever it is. He, yeah, Machado. Uh, and then now jo- Joe Musgrove will be making his money. You Darvish will be making his money. Yeah, it's an expensive team still. Don't get me wrong, but it's not paying Juan Soto forty five million a year, Tatis forty million a year. It's not all that at the same time. So there is time for them to figure out the financials as they go along. Yeah, Ma- Machado is strictly $30 million every year on a 10-year, $300 million contract. They also, I mean, they had to pay a good chunk of it, but they do get off of Eric Hosmer's contract a bit. I don't know exactly what the Padres are paying of Hosmer's deal, but, I mean, some of that's now gone. Um, and maybe they use that to maybe try to keep Josh Bell. I don't know. But our, I'll ask. I'll ask it. I'll ask the question, okay? I'll ask you the question. Are the Padres now a World Series contender with Juan Soto and Josh Bell? Are they? Are, where do you have them in your Steve Zinsmeister power rankings uh, amongst the best MLB teams? Yeah, I think that they're obvious contenders now. I mean, adding one player, especially in baseball, usually doesn't take you from non-contender to contender. I mean, look at what the Angels have had in the last couple of years where they have the best player in baseball for the last decade and they haven't made the playoffs or haven't won a playoff game. Then they add the most versatile pitcher slash hitter in the history of the game, and that includes Babe Ruth, and they still can't do it. So adding one player, even of that caliber, doesn't necessarily do that. However, they added four of those guys. They added Juan Soto and Brandon Drury, who I know has been tossed around for a few years, but... He's been resurgent, and he's had an all-star season, and he's one of the best slugging hitters in the league this season, on off-speed pitches in particular, Uh, and they needed that bat. And so they get those guys, plus Josh Bell, plus Tatis coming back, who is maybe the only player in the league more talented than Juan Soto uh, or Shohei Otani. And so you add all those guys, plus a really, really good, uh, probably the most talented left-handed relief pitcher in baseball, yeah, they're absolutely contenders on paper, but as you know, paper doesn't win championships. Rarely does the best team on paper in any sport win the title. I mean, I would have told you that the Lakers have the most talented team in basketball yeah. probably 10 out of the last 20 years. Have they won 10 championships? No. Uh, I would tell you that uh, the Dodgers have the most talented team on paper every year and for the last 10 years. Have they won 10 titles in the last 10 years? No. So uh, are they a contender? Yes. Where do they rank on my power poll? I think that I would still put them below the Dodgers, at least until we see them play each other uh, like a series or two. That's coming up uh, this which weekend. Which is going to happen over the course of the second half of the season. This weekend. I would expect the Dodgers are still higher on my list. I think I would put the Mets a little bit higher on my list just because they've been doing it even before the trade deadline. They've been winning games effectively uh, and they're operating in the same way that there's, there's no cost that's too high for the Mets. And then I think the Braves need to be worked into that mix too. Uh, They are the defending champions, which carries some weight. I know they're a slightly different team because there are a lot of pieces that are different this year, but uh, I think the Braves deserve credit in that conversation too. So specifically in the national league, I think the Padres are in the top four for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. By the way, Dodgers-Padres this weekend. Is that this weekend? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
I think All it's right. in L.A., but I'm not sure on that one. Um, yeah, I'd probably agree with you. Um, I, the Dodgers are still number one if I were to make a power ranking list. Um, they're just they're they're so loaded, um, and even with the injuries they've dealt with, they're still playing really well. I mean, and Max Mun, the guy like Max Muncie hasn't been good this year. Cody Bellinger hasn't been that great. Justin Turner hasn't been that great, and he's injured. Um, Walker Bueller is injured. <laughs> They've gotten a great year out of uh, guys, uh, guys like Tony Gonsolin. Um, and then obviously Freddie Freeman has been ridiculous for them and Mookie Betts as well. Um, but and for some reason, the Dodgers went out and got Joey Gallo. I don't really understand that at all. Uh, but <laughs> the guy can't hit the baseball. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, for me in the National League, I would I would say the Dodgers are one. The Mets are probably two. The Braves, I I tend to agree with you on the Braves. But just with the additions of Juan Soto and Josh Bell, I think I think I would have San Diego third and Braves four. Um, but that's just that's just me. And then the Brewers, I guess, would round out a top five because they're winning their division. But um but yeah, I mean it's it's going to be an interesting National League race now, um, especially in the NL West. I mean, as of right now, the Padres are 11 and a half games back of first place in the NL West. I don't know if that's something they can overcome in um, in two months. Maybe it is, um, but the Dodgers are going to get healthier at some point as well. They're going to get Walker Bueller back. They're going to get... Um, uh, Justin Turner back, you know, they're going to get healthier and they've, they're, they're always just, they are always. So they still have Clayton Kershaw who's pitching really well still at his age. Um, and you know, they have superstars. Freddie Freeman is a superstar. Mookie Betts is a superstar. Uh, Trey Turner is a superstar. I almost forgot about Trey Turner. Honestly, Will Smith is a very good hitting catcher. Um, they're, they're going to be fine. And I don't, I just don't know with the time they have, the Dodgers would need to have something catastrophic happen to them. I think to lose that lead, um, or they just start playing horrible baseball, which with all their talent, I don't think is possible. Um, but it's, yeah, the national league is going to be really fun. Um, with the, with now the Padres doing what they did, the Dodgers, always are good. The Mets, I'm surprised the Mets didn't do a little bit more at this trade deadline. Um, they were, you know, there were some rumors about them maybe going and getting Wilson Contreras from the Cubs because they really need help at catcher, especially offensive, uh, offensively at catcher. The Cubs not trading Contreras and Ian Happ, by the way, was, was weird to me. Um, but yeah, the, and the Braves are super talented. It's, it's insane how talented the Braves are. Um, Philly too. I mean, I mean, they could be, they, they went out and got Noah Syndergaard. They're in the wild card spot right now. They're the third wild card team at this point. The Cardinals, they went out and got two starting pitchers to help their rotation. The giants are only five games out and they were kind of semi selling at this trade deadline. The one that you mentioned that I, I found probably most surprising other than the Contreras deal. That's the player I thought would get dealt probably was highest on my entire list in the game of baseball on which player would be dealt. Like if I had to bet, I probably would have bet Contreras. But in terms of teams uh, that surprised me what their strategy was, 
was probably the Angels. Not that I'm saying that they were competitive or whatever, but they moved on from Noah Syndergaard, who was a short-term option for them anyway, so turning him into anything, I guess, is worth it to them. Not only did they ship him to Philadelphia, they shipped Brandon Marsh there too, who had they had developed into a pretty good outfield, major league outfielder. Uh, and they also shipped out Rysel Iglesias. So you literally moved on from your, th- I would say, probably your three best players, not named Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Like they moved on from from some pretty good players at a time when everyone's looking at them like, are you going to re-sign Otani? Mm-hmm. Are you going to have Mike Trout long-term with this back issue or whatever's going on with him? Uh the Angels are at a, at a at a crux. They're at a crossroads in their in their time, and they need to figure out what's going on. And their last couple of GMs they've had that they fired are now running really successful organizations across baseball. And so you got to look at that and say, okay, maybe we're the problem. Maybe maybe Morenos are the problem, and not not necessarily the guys calling the shots in the front office. So I was a little surprised by what the angels did, even though I didn't expect them to contend the rest of the way this season, uh, just to see them move on from those guys was very shocking, I guess to me. Yeah. The angels too are in a weird spot. I mean, they were taking calls on Shohei Otani at this trade deadline. They decided not to do anything. Uh, I read a report that the Yankees made a, pretty significant offer to the Angels for Otani. Could you imagine that? Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. And Shohei Otani hitting in Yankee Stadium. Ho, ho, ho. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, and then they're in a weird spot too because Mike Trout now has to deal with this super rare back issue that he's, back injury that he's been dealing with that he may have to deal with his the rest of his career. Um, I mean, talk about wasting one of the best player in the game for the past decade or so. I mean, they have done nothing since Mike Trout has become Mike Trout. Um, yeah, they did get Shohei Otani, but they haven't made the playoffs since Mike Trout has been an angel. Um, so yeah, it was, it is weird what they did. Um, again, I'll say it was weird what the Cardinals did, especially with how involved they were in the Juan Soto talks, how they just, they kind of balked at getting Juan Soto because they want Dylan Carlson. And then they traded uh, Harrison Bader to the Yankees for Jordan Montgomery. That was a kind of a strange move to me. I mean, Bader's hurt. He's dealing with plantar fasciitis, I guess. And that's, that's no joke. Uh, That's a significant foot injury that he'll have to manage. Um, because that just doesn't go away either. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, like you said, the Cubs not trading Wilson Contreras. I was, I was shocked that that didn't happen. Um, the Yankees did really well. I think at this trade deadline, um, I mean, a lot of stuff they did happen before the trade deadline. They got Frankie Montas from the, uh, and Lou Trevino from the Oakland A's. Uh, for a few prospects, they got Andrew Benintendi from the Royals. They move on from Joey Gallo, who has not been good for them. He's hitting, I think, like 150. And it's funny with Joey Gallo. Everyone's like, oh, he's going to be so much better next year when they ban the shift. And my response is, you have to make contact to be, to, to, to actually hit a ball and play into the hole. You know, he the dude strikes out so much and makes no contact. Um, so I, to me, I... The the Yankees got a lot better. They can, and then if Bader's healthy, that's your center fielder right there. So I mean, they did a lot of good things too. So yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Um, this 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 uh, this playoff run the next two months. 
Hey, before we wrap up the show, I wanted to mention too, last night, not only the trade deadline, but also the passing of a legendary broadcaster. Yeah. I mean, not it doesn't even really put it into the correct context to say legendary broadcaster. I mean, he is the voice of baseball over the last, I don't know, I read that he's been the voice of the Dodgers for 46% of baseball's existence. Uh, that's Vin Scully. And I kind of wanted to just tell a quick story, uh, if I could. So I know a couple of years back, I don't remember what year it was, but uh, a few years ago, I went to Dodger Stadium when he was still around, still the voice of the team. And it was Vin Scully night at the ballpark. This is the only time I've ever been to Dodger Stadium, granted. And I go to the ballpark with uh, with one of my friends and uh, we're there. It's Vin Scully night. They handed out these little toy microphones that you could press the button and it would say like, it's time for Dodger baseball. And so we're at the ballpark and he comes up on the on the Jumbotron and it's a pre-recorded video, right? Because he's doing the broadcast at this point. And in the video, he announces that he's coming back for one more year. And I swear to you, Cody, it's the loudest I've ever heard a stadium erupt in my life. Now, I've attended a lot of sporting events. I know you have, too. I've seen a lot of cool things. I've seen Rafael Palmero hit his 500th home run. I was there for that. I've seen playoff games. I saw Archie Bradley's triple, uh, which is one of the biggest moments in Arizona sports since they won the World Series. Uh, I've seen plenty of dramatic NFL games. I've seen plenty of great Suns finishes. This is by far the loudest I've ever heard an event be. And the most celebratory surroundings I've ever been in was when Vin Scully, an 80-some-odd-year-old gentleman, told a stadium that he would continue to do Dodger games on the radio and TV for one more year. And that was really telling to me. I knew who Vince Scully was. I knew the stories. I knew how good he was. Uh, but you don't really get a feel for how much people really loved him. Even the people who were there to not support the Dodgers. Like me. I'm not a Dodger fan. I was just in the ballpark that night. And it was really telling to see how much everybody loved Vince Scully. So I, I, I just wanted to kind of tell that story quickly in, in tribute to probably the most legendary broadcaster that baseball will ever see. Yeah. I, to me, he's the greatest sports broadcaster of all time. Um, and you'd be surprised how many iconic moments Vince Scully called on TV and radio outside of baseball as well. The Joe Montana touchdown. Uh, I can't remember the guy, the guy who caught it, but Vince Scully was on the call for that. Um, of course the, the Bill Buckner, uh, it gets by Buckner, the Mets winning the world series that year. That was Vin Scully. And of course, Kurt Gibson hitting that home run off Dennis Eckersley, of course, was Vin Scully as well. Um, I, I'm not like, like you, I'm not a Dodger fan either, but I will say if I had a chance to watch a feed of Vin Scully doing the Dodgers game. I was watching it because he was just so good. And I feel like a, a big part of why everyone, why he was so good and why everyone loves him so much, his storytelling ability is, is just out of this world. And he does it in a way where he makes you feel like you were there and it makes you feel like he's a part of your family. You know, like, 
I have friends that are that are Dodger fans that you know grew up listening to Vin Scully and watching the the TV broadcast with him on it as well, and just like they call him Grandpa Vin, you know, like they feel like he was a member of their family, and it's just I don't think we'll ever see or hear a broadcaster do games the way that Vin Scully was able to do games. Oh, by the way, an iconic moment that I forgot. Uh, that he called. He called Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Uh, and I heard a clip. Uh, they were playing it on ESPN radio. I heard the clip of him doing it and just describing what was happening. And not, not just Hank Aaron breaking the home run record. A, an African-American man. He said, he said an African-American man getting a standing ovation in the South at that time when that happened was, was rare. And he just so eloquently delivered that message about how big this was and how special that moment was so subtly, but it was so perfect. And man, I don't think we'll ever see another person in sports, in sports broadcasting like Vin Scully. I think you're probably right. Hey, that'll end uh, this week's podcast. Thanks so much for checking it out. So much going on with the MLB trade deadline. Uh, The season still continues, by the way. The Colorado Rockies, I believe, are the next on the uh, docket for the Arizona Diamondbacks. We'll keep you posted on all things going on with the Diamondbacks moving forward through the rest of the season. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, For Cody Fincher, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to the Ain't No Fang podcast here at ArizonaSports.com and on the Arizona Sports app.